Well, again, welcome. Glad you're here. Let's go ahead and hop in uh, this series that we started last week called Shape to Serve. Um, and we're going to be talking kind of about our heart um, today. Um, but I kind of want to recap a little bit from last week. Uh, Pastor Jerry said last week that you don't have to travel too far around the world to discover very quickly that God loves variety. He's made all the shapes and sizes and colors and the intensities in those colors. Incredible variety in our world. Now, he said something last week that I'm like, are you sure that that's accurate? When he talked about God has made over 300,000 species of beetles. Well, we just moved to a remodel. We're doing a remodel in a house, and it's a, it's a lake house. And so I think we've discovered half of those 300,000 beetles at our, at our new house because there's all sorts of weird bugs there. But also in one cubic foot of snow that there are 18 million snowflakes and not one of them are alike. And no one's going to see that except for God. That's amazing to me. It's because he loves variety. He likes variety in people also. Just go to Walmart. Walk around a little bit <laughs> and, you'll, and you'll see that. He made every single one of those individuals, even the ones that wear their pajamas to Walmart, you know. It is what it is. And he's made you. So he does love variety. Just, you know, like I said, look around. And, and that's, the, that's the cool thing about God is that he didn't make us all the same, that we're all different. And, and that's a good thing. Now, kind of our theme verses in this series, uh, one of them is Isaiah 64, 8, which says, You, Lord, are our father. We are nothing but clay, but you are the potter who molded us. And then we're going to be looking at how God has molded, how he has shaped each and every one of us. And then Psalm 139, 14 says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Now, we heard last week as Pastor Jerry was talking, he, he taught us three important truths that come from this scripture. And I just want to recap those again. Those are on your outline um, but they're just there because I thought they were pretty important to share. Again, three important truths from the scripture about you and about me. And the first one is that I'm unique. You are unique. There is nobody in the world that is just like you. There never has been. There never will be. God does not create carbon copies. He makes us unique. Even uh, people who are identical twins have differences. There are differences in identical twins. Um, but have you ever thought, why did God make you different from every other person who's ever lived? You ever thought about that? Why did he go to all the trouble? Well, I believe it's because God wants you to know how much you mean to him and how much that he loves you. And he so much so that he said, I'm going to make you exactly like you and there will never be anybody else just like you. I think that's pretty amazing. He was just saying, this is how special you are to me, that you matter to me, that you are unique. So I'm unique, but also I am wonderfully complex. If you're married, you've already figured that out. At least your spouse has already figured that out about you. Um, but we are wonderfully complex. The, and the fact that we are so complex, many times we can be a mystery to ourselves. Like we're wondering, why, why do I say the things I do? Why do I feel the way I feel at times? And it, and it can surprise us that we feel a certain way. We've all said something like, you know, why, why was I thinking that? 
or why did I feel that way or why did I do that thing? And what we hope kind of through this series of this will shed some light on that to help you discover who you are and who God made you to be to kind of help understand maybe this is why I, I do the things I do or think some of those things. Again, because we're complex, we're unique. And sometimes we have to admit, I just don't know why I feel the way I do or say that or think that. But God does. And God wants to help you because you are unique and you're wonderfully, wonderfully complex. And then the third thing is, that, is this, super important, is I was shaped for a purpose. You are shaped for a purpose. God created everything on the earth, in this world, he created for a purpose. That includes you. You're not here by accident. I don't care what anybody's ever told you. You're not here by accident at all. You're not just taking up space. God made you for a reason. You are you for a reason. He designed you. You are his idea. And actually, the Bible says that he formed you before you were even born. He was already decided who he wanted you to be, and he was creating you and forming you before you were even born. And it says, the Bible says very clearly that you are purposefully, personally, orderly planned by God. That should be some of the most encouraging news that you even hear this morning that you are not an accident you are here on purpose and god designed you on purpose his loving hand made you exactly the way that you are you're not an accident i mean he took the genetic code he put all that together your parents all those the the dna and everything to make you exactly who you are to shape you to be who he wanted you to be he made you unique uh you're you're a factor of your abilities and your personality and your experiences. And that's what, to summarize that, this is what we talk about in our 301 Ministry Matters class is we call it SHAPE, S-H-A-P-E. And they all mean something. It's an acrostic. So God has given you spiritual gifts. That's what Pastor Jerry talked about last week, that he's given us all spiritual gifts as believers. But not only that, but he's given you a heart, your heartbeat of who you are, what you love to do, what you're passionate about. God has also given you abilities personality and your experiences in life and all five of these make up who you are so today i want us to look at the second one and this is what we're going to focus in on is the heart the heart that god is giving you and we're calling it living your heart's desire living your heart's desire because i need to understand my heart you need to understand your heart you need to understand who god has made you to be the Bible uses the word heart to kind of talk about our bundle of um, the motivations that we have inside, our desires, our hopes, our longings, our dreams, our ambitions, our affections, the things that we care about, the things that you love to do. All these are composed in that word heart that is talked about in the Bible. Every human being physiologically has a unique heartbeat. No two people's heart beats exactly the same way. There's little variations in the pattern. But the same is true emotionally. We're, we're all different in little ways. Would you agree that there are some things that you care deeply about? And there are other things that you couldn't care less. Like, say, for instance, maybe some of you in here, maybe you don't just, or watching online or in the pavilion, maybe you just don't like dogs, you love dogs like you are a dog lover like little puppies like they just melt your heart little dogs and do we have any dog lovers in in the room okay we have a couple dog lovers all right maybe online there's some dog lovers like you just yes you love dogs 
Now, there's, there might be a chance you're sitting next to a cat lover. Do we have anybody in here or watching online who are just cat lovers? You love cats. Like, you could watch cat videos all day long, and they're just, oh, they're so cute, little cats. All right, so who of you would just say, I couldn't care less about either? doesn't really matter. All right, so we have a lot more of you in this service. Last service was full of all the animal lovers, I guess, because we had lots of dog lovers and cat lovers. See, we're all just so different in many different areas. That's just one, one instance. Think about this. Would you agree that those of you who are married married someone who is quite different and opposite of you? Chances are that is. A lot of times we married the, the opposite. Why? Because God gave you a unique heartbeat. Proverbs 27:19 says his face is reflected in water so the heart reflects the real person. Just as your face, you can see your face in the water, your heart, who you are, reflects who you are. Your heart is what makes you you. And God made you so that your emotional heartbeat races when you're interested in things and it doesn't race on other things. You're like, yeah, and you kind of look and you wonder why some people their heart races with little puppies, and you're like, that's so dumb. Why? Then whatever. Or cats, and, and we wonder why. It's, it's because we're just so different. But this is, an, this is intentional for us. This is how God has made us. The interests that you have were put in you by God for a purpose. It's not just random. So I'm going to give you some things that your heart determines. I'm just going to look at three things. Three things, if you're taking notes, you can write these in. Three things that my heart determines. The first one is this. My heart determines why I say the things that I do. Why I say the things I do. You know, when you say things, sometimes it's like, where did that come from? Well, it's typically coming from your heart. It's what's in there is coming out. Look at Matthew 12, 34. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. It's in there. It's coming out. The second thing is, see, that kid is feeling their heart is coming out of their mouth. You hear that screaming going on. They're either really passionate about something or they're upset about something. It could be either way. All right. So why I say the things I do. The second thing is why I feel the way I do. My heart determines why I feel the way I do. Hebrews 4.12 says God word, God's word judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So why I say the things I do, why I feel the way I do. And then the third thing is why I act the way I do. My heart determines why I act the way I do. And sometimes for me, I have to go back. If I act a certain way, I realize that, why did I act like that? Well, it's because of something that was going on in my heart at that moment. So Proverbs 4.23, this is why this verse is so important. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The Bible is pretty clear about our hearts. So if my heart determines the way I think, the way I feel, and the way I act, then really, if you think about it like this, our heart is an internal guidance system for us in a way. God has placed it in there for a purpose that we need to be paying attention to our heart. It's not by accident. You see, we were shaped, again, for service. We are shaped for significance. We have purpose. This is one of the things we talk about in, in our 301, in our ministry matters, as Pastor Jerry talked about last week. So, if you're a believer, when you become a Christian, you are given a spiritual gift. God gives each believer a spiritual gift. But the, the thing is, you could have the same spiritual gift as somebody else, but you have a different heart. Your heart beats differently. So, so for example, um, two people could have the same spiritual gift, say, of teaching. 
but one person has a heart for adults and one person has a heart for kids. And they would not, the opposite, they would, the people who like to teach kids would not like to teach adults and the ones that would like to teach adults would not like to teach kids. Again, it's because it's where their heart is. Same gift, different heart, and so they're motivated to use it in a different way. Hopefully that makes sense to help kind of see that. So, those things, why I say the things I do, why I feel the way I do, and why I act the way I do. So then, I'm going to give you some results of living out your heart's desire, living based on what God has interested you in. So I'm just going to give three, three results of living out my heart's desire, for you to live out your heart's desire. If you look at Colossians 3.23, it says this, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. See, we are to always work from our heart. We're to work from these inborn motivations. We're to serve from these inborn motivations that God has put inside of us. So how do you, maybe you're asking, well, how do I know when I'm working from my heart? How do I know when I've got a job or I'm serving in a ministry that matches the internal heartbeat that God has given me? Well, there's three characteristics to living your heart's desire. I'm going to give you these if you want to write these in. The first one is living my heart's desire results in enthusiasm. You are enthusiastic about what you're doing. Living my heart's desire results in enthusiasm. When you do what you love to do, you enjoy it. And and we see the opposite. When people aren't enjoying what they do, it's obvious they don't love it. Like you ever been to a restaurant and you have a server there? The difference between a server who really loves their job and they're really good at it and a server who it's obvious they really don't love their job and you're like, can you please just give me my food so I can get out of here because obviously you don't love your job and don't spit in my food while you're at it, please. You can see it. When you love what you do, you enjoy what you do. When you do what you're gifted and you're shaped to do, when your job fits your heart, you are motivated to do it. Really, you don't need anybody to motivate you or supervise you or challenge you because you love what you're doing. You're just going to do it naturally. You do it because you love what it is that you're doing. There's natural enthusiasm there. You're not doing it, doing it for the rewards or the applause or the limelight. It's because you love to do what you do, and there's enthusiasm behind it. Ecclesiastes 2.10 says, I found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. So circle pleasure. I found great pleasure in hard work. Even though it's hard work, doesn't mean it's not hard work. Do you find pleasure in your work? If you don't, it could be a spiritual issue. And likely, if you're serving in ministry, if, if you're not finding pleasure in the ministry you're in or in your job you're in, you could be in the wrong ministry, you could be in the wrong job. See, God doesn't want you just to endure life. You know that? What did Jesus say? I've come to give you a mediocre life. No. He said, I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. He wants us to have an abundant life, to enjoy life. He doesn't want us just to endure life. And if we're just enduring, then our work, our ministry, or whatever we're doing, is just going to be a drag. He wants it to be a delight. And if your heart isn't in what you're doing, it's going to be a drag. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're experiencing that now. You know, I've heard people say, maybe you've heard this too, someday I'm going to make enough money so I can quit work and go do what I love to do. I believe God would say, you're thinking backwards in all all of this. Don't waste your life on a job that doesn't fit the heart that I've given you to have. You should enjoy your job. 
it's a lot more important than many of us give consideration to what we do for a job, what we do in ministry, and really enjoy what, what we do. You know, there was a study of a cross-section of American workers for about 20 years. All the successes and the failures of those workers, and here was the conclusion of this study. If you do what you love long enough, the money will come if you follow your heart. When you use your interests that God put in your life, you're more likely to succeed than if you're trying to attempt something that God didn't give you an inborn heart to do, whatever your gifting or your abilities are. Most of the time, people don't succeed at what they don't like. You've got to love it. There may be some people who might succeed, but typically not. You've got to love what you're doing. If you don't have a heart for what you're doing, you're not going to do it enthusiastically over the long haul. Second thing, living my heart's desire, if you want to write this in, results in effectiveness. It results in effectiveness. When you do what you love to do and what you're gifted and you have a heart for, you're good at it. It just happens. The key to productivity in your life is doing, again, what you love to do. Another word for heart that we commonly use nowadays is just the word passion. Passion is a motivation to give yourself to an idea or a cause or a person. Passion is neutral. Passion can be used for good or passion can be used for bad. You know, God has passion. God has passion for you. That's why he created you and designed you. The difference between passion and lust is when you have passion for something, the more you do it, the more satisfied you are. Lust typically is the more you do it, the less satisfied you are. And that's why you end up moving to the next thing to lust after. Passion is when you give yourself to a cause, like I said, an idea, a person, or a task. And we see many examples throughout history of people who had passion and made a change in the world because they were passionate and they had a heart for something. We see it in the Bible because passionate people get results. In the Old Testament, Moses, he had a passion to release the slaves out of Egypt, something that hadn't been done in over 400 years. He had a passion to do it. Was he afraid at times? Absolutely. But he had a passion and God gave him the ability to do it. He, he was able to free the slaves out of Egypt, the Israelites. Uh, King David in the Old Testament, he had a passion to build the temple. Nehemiah in the Old Testament had a passion to build the wall around Jerusalem. He loved the people of Israel and he loved God and he saw their walls were broken down. And so he had a passion to pull people together and build the wall and got it done. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul had a passion to share the good news everywhere he went. And then it ends up writing most of the New Testament. God had him pen most of the New Testament. Passionate people who have changed the world typically were not the smartest, the most educated, the most wealthy, or even the most gifted, but they were all people who loved what they were doing and they had a heart for it. And that pushed them to do what they were doing, even when it was scary, even when it was hard, even when they had opposition they had passion and conviction. They went with it with all their heart. You know, when I work toward my heart's desire, I have enthusiasm. I have effectiveness. You know, for me, one of my passions is working with young people. In ministry, I love probably Wednesday nights are my favorite nights of the week working with our elementary kids in, in Power Up. I just have a passion for that, and I, and I love it. I love being there with them, and hopefully my passion 
because my passion for the Lord, but then it comes out my passion for these young people. And hopefully that passion comes out to them and they see it. And it then makes them want to know Jesus even more and want to follow him. So, you know, because we're raising adults, we're not raising kids. So one day they're going to be adults. So to help them to love Jesus as adults so that they don't pass that on to their kids. I have a passion for that and I love it. You know, if I didn't love it and I wasn't enthusiastic, I mean, I'm sure I could get the job done. But it'd be like, hey, kids, we're here. Who wants to learn about Jesus? Yay. I don't know those kids would come back. I wouldn't come back. But when you do something with passion, they catch on to it and they become passionate. And they love it too. So there's enthusiasm and then results in effectiveness. And then the third thing, living my heart's desire results in excellence. Results in excellence. When you have a heart for something, you give it your best shot. This is obvious in sports. If you ask the top athletes, whether it's basketball, football, hockey, baseball, whatever, what drives you, the fact typically is they love what they do. Now, obviously, they get paid income, big income, and that helps. But the athlete that lasts are those who do it because they love what they do. Because their bodies are getting beat up. They've got to travel. They've got to do all these things. Money is great, but the ones that last are the ones that love to do it because they have a passion. Passion will outlast the profit over the long haul. Again, we see this in athletes. You know, for some athletes, it doesn't matter if you paid them or not. They'd be out there. They'd be out there on that court. They'd be out there on that football field because they love the game. They love to do it. But there are other people, and we all have probably seen those. There's other athletes who all they care about is the praise. All they care about is the limelight. You know, the athlete that holds out for more money when they're already, it's like, dude, you're already making millions of dollars. What do you mean you want more money? You make a lot of money. But if you're doing it because you love the game, it's obvious and you can see it. Because they don't care about the praise, the profit, or the limelight. They love what they do. And when you do what you love, those things don't matter. You have passion because you're not doing it for the applause of the people. We all heard of Mother Teresa, or most of us have probably heard of Mother Teresa. She was one that went to like the slums in Calcutta and helped the poor. She also helped people that had the skin disease uh, with leprosy and those kind of things. So when she was alive, can you imagine if you went and you asked her the question, why did you spend your entire life in these slums of Calcutta, helping the poor, helping people with leprosy? Why'd you do that? Can you imagine her saying, well, you know, I was just hoping that I would win a Nobel Peace Prize one day. No, of course she, I mean, she did get a Nobel Peace Prize, but that was a, I guarantee that was the farthest, farthest thing from her mind. She just had a heart for helping hurting people. That's what she did. That was her heart. So maybe you ask this, does everyone have a God-implanted passion, a basic implanted dream or desire or ambition that God gives them? Yes, I believe everybody does. But here's the problem. Hurts, fears, and doubts often bury it so we can't find it. You know, you're a young person, maybe you have a, you have a passion, a heart, whatever, and it gets pushed down by somebody else. Oh, you can't do that. You should never even try that. And so it goes away because that's who we were. 
So maybe that's what it is. Hurts, fears, doubts, we'll bury it. So um, we always like to make our messages practical. So I want to give you some steps on how to start living your heart's desire. My observation is that very few people act on their interests and their dreams and their desires and their passions. And I would say one of the saddest things, I don't even care what age you are. I would say one of the saddest things is to die without trying to attempt the dreams that God has put in your heart because that's part of the reason that you're here. You could be the person that discovers X, Y, Z, whatever it is, because God planted that in your heart to have a passion to discover that. And if we don't try it, well, we're missing out. Maybe you have this thing, I've always wanted to do this, but I've never tried it. That's not living to your potential. That's not living to the glory of God because God has planted that in your heart for a purpose and a reason. So I'm going to give you four essentials to how to start living your heart's desire, how to find that thing that God has put in you. These are the steps. I'm going to give you four steps to living your heart's desire. First one I would believe is the most important is this. I commit all my life to Christ. I commit all my life to Christ. You know, if you're in here this morning and you're not a Christian, first, glad you're here. If you're watching online or in the pavilion and you're not a Christian, so glad that you're here. I think one of the biggest things to understand is that to understand why we're here, to understand the purpose of life is to understand that there is a God and that God sent his son Jesus to this world, one, to show us who he was but to live a perfect life so that he could then go to the cross, die for our sins, and then he rose again so that we can be reconciled back to God who created us. That's the purpose. That's, that's why we're here. We're here because God wanted us to be here. But God had to fix things because it got all wrecked in the beginning. So he gave his son so that we could then be reconciled back to the Father so that we can now live out. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, we can fully be alive. And live out the heart's desire. So as a Christian, I have to accept Christ as my personal Savior. And then I need to give him all my life. Why is this the first step? Why is this so important? Because who do you think gave you those interests and those thoughts and those passions that are in your heart? God did. He made that in you. God gave you that heart. He shaped it. But unless we place it under his control... It will be misused. It can be perverted and wasted. I mean, we see it all the time. You see people with such talent or such whatever it is, such heart, and they either use it the wrong way or they don't use it at all or they use it selfishly. Look at Psalm 37, 4 through 5. It says this, Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desire. Isn't this an amazing promise? I pray this over my kids. If you have children, pray this over your kids. Pray that your kids and yourself would take delight in the Lord so that the Lord then wants to give them their heart's desire. And then, the, and then pray the next part. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Everything. Trust Him and He will help you. So I want you to circle some things. Circle the verbs take and give. Take delight in the Lord. And He will give you the desire of your heart. And then commit and trust. If you will commit everything to the Lord and trust Him, then circle help. He will help you. 
great promise for us. It's a reciprocal promise. When you give your life to the Lord completely, you instantly become a more passionate person. You just do. Some people say, well, I just don't feel passionate about anything. There's nothing that really thrills me in the morning to get me up and and make me feel more passionate. I just don't have any passion. Well, my answer would be to you, especially if you're a believer, is you're not spending enough time with Jesus. Because as you spend time with him, the more passionate you will become. Because he's passionate. And when you see his passion, it, it comes on to you. The more fully alive you will become. You become like the people you hang out with. And if you start hanging out with God more, you're going to become like him. It's just a byproduct. It's what happens. And you're going to start feeling deeply about the things that God feels deeply about. When I spend time with him, I begin to pick up his heart for things. The way his heart beats and feels the way that he does. There's a guy by the name of Bob Pierce. Um, he was the founder of World Vision. Maybe you've heard of World Vision. That's a lot of times we sponsor a kid through World Vision, uh, kids all across the world. Well, he founded World Vision, and he used to say this. This was kind of his prayer to God was, God, let my heart be broken with the things that break your heart. And that's how he got this motivation to start World Vision. Well, I would add to that maybe for you is to pray this. Lord, let my heart be interested in the things that interest you. Or let my heart be thrilled with the things that thrill your heart, God. You pray that prayer every day, and I guarantee God will bring those passions alive in your life. So the first thing I do is I commit all my life to Christ. The second thing that I need to do to start living my heart's desire is this. I need to examine what I enjoy doing. I need to then examine the things that I enjoy doing. This is one of the things that we discuss in... Um, ministry matters in 301 and really this is one of the bulk parts of it is you will kind of write this stuff out uh, examining the things that you enjoy doing so this for you even if you're not doing 301 yet maybe for you it means you go back and you kind of write a personal history go back through your life and kind of write some things down sit down and and make some notes what are the things that I really enjoy doing in my life up to this point I did them well I enjoyed them and list particularly like the accomplishments that you've had in life. What gave you a sense of satisfaction when you did whatever that thing was? List those things that you really enjoyed doing. Maybe it was just for a day, but whatever it was, you were really successful at it and you really enjoyed doing it. And then consider these questions or these thoughts. These aren't on your outline. You can write these to the side if you want. They, they won't even come up on the screen, so I'll just say them a couple times. But the, the first one is this. This is a question. What fascinates me? This is something you can write out. Answer this question for yourself. What, what fascinates me? When you're doing the work of your heart, you don't get bored with it. I have people ask me, do you ever get tired of being a pastor? And my answer is no. I love what I do. I get tired as a pastor. I get tired in the ministry, but I don't get tired of being a pastor. Everyone gets tired. But I love what I do, so I don't get tired of being a pastor. It's, it's my passion. So what fascinates me? Second thing to write down is what do I really love to do? Have you ever just sat and thought about that? What are the things that you really love to do? What are those things? What do I really love to do? And then write that out. Then another thought is this. I really feel good when, 
and then fill in the blank. I really feel good when. When are the times in your life where you have felt mostly, fully alive? Making a craft? Were you planning a project or doing this event? Or maybe it was uh, you made a sale? Maybe you did a speech or you planned something or writing or cooking, whatever it is. What is it, those things that God has put that interest in your life and I really feel good when? And write that out. And then the last one is this. I was the most successful at fill in the blank. I was the most successful at. You may have multiple things. I was the most successful at um, planning that project. Maybe you had a, you had a project at home Maybe it was a remodel, addition, or whatever it was. You planned the project out, and you did it, and you scheduled everything, and it went great, and you were really good at it, and you were successful, and you actually enjoyed doing that. That might be something that you consider. So what fascinates me? What do I really love to do? I really feel good when, and I was the most successful at. Galatians 6, 4 says, Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself with anyone else. Which then brings us on to the third thing that I need to do to start living out my heart's desire is this. I explore my options. I explore my options. See, I would suggest that you expose yourself to all different kinds of work. And ministry. In ministry in the church, expose yourself to different kinds of ministry. Uh, we... We won't lock you into a ministry. If you're like, yeah, okay, I'm going to try this ministry. You go ch- try children's ministry. You're like, yeah, I don't like little kids. That's okay. We won't make you stay there. You don't have to stay. You can go. We won't guilt you into anything. But expose yourself to different areas. Find out in ministry or find out in a job what you really like to do to find the one that fits. So in a job, you know, think about this in a job. What good is it to get a job that maybe paid good money, but you hated it your whole entire life? Just to get a plaque that you hang up on the wall? Yay. Got my plaque. You know, it's like I went to I rode this ride and all I got was this dumb little shirt or whatever it is or however that is. Um, you know, what good is it to, yeah, you have a job that pays you a lot of money, but you hate getting up in the morning. You despise it. That's something to think about. That's not who God made you to be. So I would say you need to find out all you can. Explore your options. Don't compare yourselves to other people. Passionate people don't really care what other people think what they're going to do. You know, when I first decided or felt called into ministry, I had some people, even some family members, are like, are you sure that's what you want to do? You know, pastors don't make any money. You know, they work a lot of hours, which you probably don't think that. You're like, oh, what do you mean? You're just here on Sunday. So, but that's okay. You can think that. Um, But, you know, people will discourage you to do the dream, the thing that you want to do. And don't let people discourage you or intimidate you if God has called you to do something, whether it's a ministry or whether it's a job. Passionate people aren't intimidated by the expectations of others. You know, maybe there was that growing up, well, daddy always wanted me to be or mommy always wanted me to be. That's okay. Mom and dad can have some dreams for you as well, and they can give you input. But you've got to do what God wants you to do over Everybody else. Listen to what God is telling you. The Bible says get the facts at any price. So how do you do that? Well, I would say read. Even if you're not a reader, read a lot of books on whatever topic is the thing that really interests you. Find that out. What, what appeals to you? 
You can interview people from different types of work. If there's a certain type of work or a certain ministry that you're like, I'd really like to try that out, but I don't know, interview people. Ask them questions. You know, when you find people that have the same heart, their heart kind of beats like your heart beats, all of a sudden it's like you, you have a connection with them. You know, we kind of call that a kindred spirit. Like they have the same passions, you have the same passions, all of a sudden it's like you become friends just because you kind of see things. They could be a total stranger and you, you see things the same way. It's because you have the same heart, the same mind. So link up with people who are successful and effective in an area that you love, whether it's a ministry or whether it's a job. There's a Bible verse that says, um, as iron sharpens iron. So find somebody who's good at it. And when you get around people with passion, you start to pick it up. You start to pick up their passion. Have you ever just been around somebody and they're just super passionate about something? And all of a sudden you find yourself passionate about it. You're like, I don't even know why I'm passionate about this. I hated this like five minutes ago. But they're so passionate about it now. You're like, I just love whatever it is. Cats. And I never liked cats before. Because they love cats so much. And you're like, why do I really... I don't, I don't know that I really like cats, but they, they really love cats, so I must love cats. You know, those passionate people make you feel passionate about things because you start picking up. That's why you really ought to choose your friends carefully. You know what I tell young people all the time? You show me your friends, and I promise you I'll show you your future. Those people you hang out with, you're going to become like those people. Just the way it happens, even if you don't mean to. So pick your friends carefully. Find those people that have passion for things, and you latch on to that, and and you find your passion. Okay, on to the the fourth thing to do to start living out my heart's desires is number four, is just to then step out in faith. It's a hard step, but it's an important step. Step out in faith. So you commit your life to Christ, giving him all of it. Examine what you enjoyed doing in the past. Look at the, all the options and then just go for it. Do it. This is what God made me to be. This is what I'm going to do. Now look, some of you may go home after this message and, and say, I need to get a new job. Now I'm not telling you to quit your job at all. Please don't say, well, Pastor Rich told me I should quit my job No, I'm not saying quit your job. But maybe one of the most spiritual things you can do is now sit down and pray about and ask God, God, do I need to get a new job? Do I need to find a new job that fits who you made me to be? Because I don't want to be miserable in life. I want to enjoy life and I want to live it to the fullest. So I need you to help me find this job. Or maybe it's a ministry. God, I want to find the ministry that you want me to have. Give me a heart for that that ministry or whatever it might be. So maybe that's one of the most spiritual things you can do is start the process of asking God to lead you to that, that place in which he made you to be. Joshua 1.9, this is really my life verse. This is the verse I put everywhere. This is the verse I share with my kids all the time. Is this, this is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God said this to Joshua many times. Why did he say that? Well, it wasn't because Joshua had a lot of courage. It was obvious because Joshua didn't have courage. He was fearful. So God had to continually remind him, Joshua, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Hey, remember, I'm with you wherever you go. So where God is leading you, he'll give you what you need. And it's my experience that most people don't go after their dream in life. Most people don't. Most people live lives of mediocrity. 
They don't develop the gifts, the talents, or the interests that God has given them. Why is that? Well, I believe it's fear. Fear is the great heart stopper, this heart that God has given you. I believe it destroys, destroys more dreams, desires, ambitions, and longings than anything else. It's the fear. Fear is like spiritual cholesterol. It will stop your heart, the heart that God has given you. It will keep you from being all that God wants you to be. In the New Testament, in Matthew 25, Jesus told a story. Maybe you've read this in Matthew 25. It's the parable of the talents. Now, the talents, um, you can look at talents as talents, but this they were given money to invest. So one guy doubled his talents. Another guy doubled his talents. The third guy did nothing. And when the master came back and said, why didn't you invest the money that I gave you? What was his response? His response was, I was afraid. So I did nothing. But here's back what you gave me. That's not going to cut it as an excuse someday when we're standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When God has given you a heart, a passion, and these things in your, but yeah, Lord, um, no, I didn't use it. You gave me these interests and these hearts and these abilities and this gift, and you shaped me this way, but I was afraid, so I did nothing. I didn't do it. Some of you have allowed fear to suffocate your dreams. Maybe you're like, well, I don't know if I've let fear. What do you mean fear? What kind of fears maybe suffocate my dream? Well, I'll just give you three fears that can stop your heart, if you will. The first one is this. It's just the fear of ridicule. It's what other people are saying. You know, I kind of feel our educational system actually oftentimes hampers people with passion. Um, they, sometimes things are said like, who do, you, who do you think you are to have a dream like that? Or don't get too big for your britches. Or remember where you came from. Or don't get carried away. And, you know, when people discourage you, think about that word, discourage. It means they're taking your courage away. I, take your, I, I end up taking the courage away from you of what God made you to, to be and to do. Passionate people don't let other people intimidate them from living out their dreams because they have expectations or they have um, whatever. They're trying to discourage you. So the first one is fear of ridicule. The second one is the fear of failure. The fear of failure, that's a big one, you know? What if I try it and I fall flat on my face? So? You fall, flat, you fall flat on your face. You know, the way to success is often through failures. You know the spray WD-40? You know why it's called WD-40? Because they failed 39 times. 40, the formula, number 40, was the right formula. It worked. What if they would have stopped at 38? Ah, we give up. They wouldn't have got it. But it took them until number 40 to get it right. Water's displacement 40. It's because of that reason. There are always a number of failures before successes. And that's the way you get there. Success comes from right decision after right decision, and that comes from experience. But experience often comes from making wrong decisions, which then lead to the right decisions. We have to have errors along the way. Look, don't be afraid to go out on the limb because that's typically where the fruit is. Go out on that limb, take a chance. You're not going to get it if you don't. 
Don't be afraid to rock the boat if Jesus is the captain of your boat. He will help you. He'll give you what you need. The third thing is the fear of the unknown. This keeps a lot of people from becoming all that God created them to be. The fear of the unknown. Maybe you've said this, or maybe you've heard it said, but you know, it's that, well, I hate my job, but at least it's secure. Is it really? Is any job really secure? What's that? Yeah. Yeah. You, you never know. Yep. I'd rather hold on to a job, or maybe it's this thing, I'd rather hold on to a job that I like than to go after a job that I'm not sure that I can get. That's why step number four is really just to take a step of faith. When God calls you to, there's a risk. When he calls you to that risk, you just step out in faith and you've got to trust him. The antidote to fear, um, ridicule, the ridicule and the failure in the unknown is just faith. Now, it's a big one to take a step of faith. But we have to expect that if God has planted that in my heart, that he's going to fulfill it. He's going to make it happen. Me becoming a pastor was the last thing that I ever thought that I was going to be. I was, I was sure, God, you had the wrong person. But as I began to move through it, God reminded me, look, I'm calling you to it. I will make sure you have everything you need for it. Like, and if you say so, if I mess up, it's all on you, God. And he can handle that. If it's a God-given dream, he's going to help you fulfill it. Look, Seminole Community Church is an, is an example of that. The answer is we must move against our fears. You know, from the very first service, Pastor Jerry started this church many years ago, and from the very first service, he had to move against his fears. He was, you know, a really young guy, starting this church, didn't have a lot going on with it. I mean, not a lot of people, not a lot of money. He was just moving against the fears. And he, he was always thinking, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? We well, had to move against those fears. And trust that God was continuing to show him, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. And just keep moving forward from the very first service onward and still to, to today. He'll often ask us as a staff, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing? Are we doing the right thing? Because he only wants to do what God wants us to do. And he, we have to move against fear. Courage is not the absence of fear. Nobody is courageous if they're not afraid. Courage is moving ahead in spite of your fears. It's okay to have fear. Courage is moving in spite of it. You don't base your life on fears. You base your life on what God has told you to do. So move in spite of your fears, whatever they may be. Go for it and take the leap of faith. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. This is a verse you should memorize. Philippians 2.13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So circle power and circle, circle desire. When God gives you a desire, I promise you he'll give you the power to do it. That's his promise. He doesn't give you the, the desire, the dream or the ambition to then say, "Huh, have fun with that. Or psych, I was just kidding. No. He's like, I planted that in you for a reason. I'll give you everything you need for that. Just trust me. I just need you to move and do something with it. Just trust me with it. He'll help you out. He'll give you the power to do it. So step out in faith. All right, so if I can summarize this message in a single sentence, which now you're probably like, well, why didn't you just share the single sentence in the beginning and we could have been done with this a long time ago? Well, then we wouldn't have had all this fun together. So 
I'll give you this single sentence here. This is the secret of a fulfilled life if you want to write this in the end. Find out what you love to do that God made you to do and do it for his glory. Find out what you love to do that God made you to do and do it all for his glory. Don't drift. Don't just drag through life. Take advice, again, take the advice of Psalm 37, 4 through 5, which we read before. It's this, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. You should memorize that verse. Again, pray that verse over your kids. See, as a church, we are personally committed to helping you discover and develop your shape and then position you in your place in the church to help you be fulfilled in ministry, but also help you find your place in the world that God has meant you to have. Then comes meaning and significance and pleasure and satisfaction and delight if we'll do that. So let's pray and ask God to help us to live out our heart's desire. Just pray this with me. Oh, Father, we're just so thankful for you today. Thank you for the opportunity to meet together as the church. Uh, Lord, we don't want to ever take that for granted. It's, a, it's, it's an honor, it's a privilege to be able to meet together as the church. Thank you that we've gotten to a place where even more people are able to come back together and meet because it's so important. Father, thank you for this message, message this morning. Thank you for encouraging even, even my heart with this. And I pray it will be an encouragement to everyone who hears. Now, Heavenly Father, I don't want to waste my life. And I know that there are many here who don't want to waste their lives. Maybe this message has struck a chord in in some lives here this morning or those watching in the pavilion or online. Maybe they've always had a dream and a desire and they've wondered where it came from. Help them to see that you gave it to them. You gave them this passion. You gave them this desire. It can be used for good or bad, or it can be used for selfish reasons or not selfish reasons, Lord. Help us all to commit our lives completely to you, to examine what we enjoy doing, to explore the options. And then, Lord, may we step out on faith and have courage to live out the life that you've called us to. Lord, I believe there are things out there that haven't been discovered or made yet because someone hasn't lived out their purpose fully yet. Maybe today is going to be the beginning of that. May we step out in faith and may we be testimonies of your great love for us and the hearts that you have put in us and who you've made us to be. We just give you thanks for loving us and we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for joining us online this morning. Seriously, we're glad that you were part of our online community. If you have any prayer needs, go ahead and drop them in the comment section. We'd love to be praying for you this week. Okay, there's a lot happening this summer, especially with students. If you want to know about all of our student events pre-K through high school, you can head on over to the website and click events. We try to keep that updated for you so that you know what's going on so you can plan your summer. And that's it. Once again, thanks for being here. We'll be back next week at 9 and 1045 in person and online. Have a great week.